Chapter Twenty Three of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Save you, sir. Shakespeare. The sleep of the fugitives lasted for several hours. The trapper was the first to shake off its influence, as he had been the last to court its refreshment. Rising, just as the gray light of the day began to brighten that portion of the studded vault which rested on the eastern margin of the plain, he summoned his companions from their warm lairs, and pointed out the necessity of their being once more on the alert. While Middleton attended to the arrangements necessary to the comforts of Enos and Ellen in the long and painful journey which lay before them, the old man and Paul prepared the meal, which the former had advised them to take before they proceeded to horse. These several dispositions were not long in making, and a little group was soon seated about a repast which, though it might want the elegancies to which the bride of Middleton had been accustomed, was not deficient in the more important requisites of savor and nutriment. "'When we get lower into the hunting-grounds of the Pawnees,' said the trapper, laying a morsel of delicate venison before Inez, on a little trencher neatly made of horn, and expressly for his own use, "'we shall find the buffaloes fatter and sweeter, the deer in more abundance, and all the gifts of the Lord abounding to satisfy our wants. Perhaps we may even strike a beaver, and get a morsel from his tail by way of a rare mouthful. Footnote, the American hunters considered a tail of the beaver the most nourishing of all food. What course do you mean to pursue, when you have once thrown these bloodhounds from the chase? demanded Middleton. If I might advise, said Paul, it would be to strike a watercourse and get upon its downward current as soon as may be. Give me a cottonwood, and I will turn you out a canoe that shall carry us, all, the jackass accepted in perhaps the work of a day and night. Ellen here is a lively girl enough, but then she is no great race-rider, and it would be far more comfortable to boat six or eight hundred miles than to go loping along like so many elk measuring the prairies. Besides, water leaves no trail. I will not swear to that, returned the trapper. I have often thought the eyes of a redskin would find a trail in air. "'See, Middleton!' exclaimed Inez, in a sudden burst of youthful pleasure that caused her for a moment to forget her situation. "'How lovely is that sky! Surely it contains a promise of happier times!' "'It is glorious!' returned her husband. "'Glorious and heavenly is that streak of vivid red, and here is still a brighter crimson. Rarely have I seen a richer rising of the sun!' "'Rising of the sun!' slowly repeated the old man lifting his tall person from his seat with a deliberate and abstracted air, while he kept his eye riveted on the changing and certainly beautiful tents that were garnishing the vault of heaven. Rising of the sun! I like not such risings of the sun. Ah's me! The imps have circumvented us with a vengeance. The prairie is on fire. God in heaven protect us! cried Middleton, catching Enos to his bosom under the instant impression of the imminence of their danger. There is no time to lose, old man. Each instant is a day. Let us fly. Whither? demanded the trapper, motioning him with calmness and dignity to arrest his steps. In this wilderness of grass and reeds, you are like a vessel in the broad lakes without a compass. A single step on the wrong course might prove the destruction of us all. It is seldom danger is so pressing that there is not time enough for reason to do its work, young officer. Therefore let us await its biddings. For my own part, said Paul Hover, looking about him with no equivocal expression of concern, 
I acknowledge that should this dry bed of weeds get fairly in a flame, a bee would have to make a flight higher than common to prevent his wings from scorching. Therefore, old trapper, I agree with the captain, and say, mount and run. Ye are wrong, ye are wrong. Man is not a beast to follow the gift of instinct, and to snuff up his knowledge by a taint in the air or a rumbling in the sound. But he must see and reason, and then conclude. So follow me a little to the left, where there is a rise in the ground, whence we may make our reconnoiterings. The old man waved his hand with authority, and led the way without further parlance to the spot he had indicated, followed by the whole of his alarmed companions. An eye less practiced than that of the trapper might have failed in discovering the gentle elevation to which he alluded, and which looked on the surface of the metal like a growth a little taller than common. When they reached the place, however, the stinted grass itself announced the absence of that moisture which had fed the rank weeds of most of the plain, and furnished a clue to the evidence by which he had judged of the formation of the ground hidden beneath. Here a few minutes were lost in breaking down the tops of the surrounding herbage, which, notwithstanding the advantage of their position, rose even above the heads of Middleton and Paul, in an obtaining a lookout that might command a view of the surrounding sea of fire. The frightful prospect added nothing to the hopes of those who had so fearful a stake in the result. Although the day was beginning to dawn, the vivid colors of the sky continued to deepen, as if the fierce element were bent on an impious rivalry of the light of the sun. Bright flashes of flame shot up here and there, along the margin of the waste, like the nimble coruscations of the north, but far more angry and threatening in their color and changes. The anxiety of the rigid features of the trapper sensibly deepened, as he leisurely traced these evidences of a conflagration which spread in a broad belt about their place of refuge, until he had encircled the whole horizon. Shaking his head, as he again turned his face to the point where the danger seemed nighest and most rapidly approaching, the old man said, Now have we been cheating ourselves with the belief that we had thrown these Tetons from our trail, while here is proof enough that they not only know where we lie, but that they intend to smoke us out like so many skulking beasts of prey. See, they have lighted the fire around the whole bottom of the same moment, and we are as completely hemmed in by the devils as an island by its waters. Let us mount and ride, cried Middleton. Is life not worth a struggle? Whither would he go? Is a Teton horse a salamander that he can walk amid fiery flames unhurt? Or do you think the Lord will show his might in your behalf, as in the days of old, and carry you harmless through such a furnace as you may see glowing beneath you under red sky? There are Sioux, too, hemming the fire with their arrows and knives on every side of us, or I am no judge of their murderous deviltries. We will ride into the center of the whole tribe, returned the youth fiercely, and put their manhood to the test. Ay, it's well in words, but what would it prove in deeds? Here is a dealer in bees, who can teach you wisdom in a matter like this. Now, for that matter, old trapper, said Paul, stretching his authentic form like a mastiff conscious of his strength, I am on the side of the captain, and am clearly for a race against the fire, though it lie me into Teton Wigwam. Here is Owen who will. Of what use, of what use are your stout hearts, when the element of the Lord is to be conquered as well as human men? Look about you, friends, the wreath of smoke that is rising from the bottoms plainly says that there is no outlet from this spot without crossing a belt of fire. Look for yourselves, my men, look for yourselves. If you can find a single opening, I will engage to follow. 
The examination, which his companions so instantly and so attently made, rather served to assure them of their desperate situation than to appease their fears. Huge columns of smoke were rolling up from the plain, and thickening in gloomy masses around the horizon. The red glow which gleamed upon their enormous folds, now lighting their volumes with the glare of the conflagration, and now flashing to another point as the flame beneath glided ahead, leaving all behind enveloped in an awful darkness, and proclaiming louder than words the character of the imminent and approaching danger. "'This is terrible!' exclaimed Middleton, folding the trembling Inez to his heart. "'At such a time as this, and in such a manner!' "'The gates of heaven are open to all who truly believe,' murmured the pious devotee in his bosom. "'This resignation is maddening, but we are men, and will make a struggle for our lives. How now, my brave and spirited friend, shall we yet mount and push across the flames, or shall we stand here and see those we most love perish in this frightful manner without an effort?' "'I am for a swarming time, and a flight before this hive is too hot to hold us.' said the bee-hunter, to whom it will be at once seen that Middleton addressed himself. "'Come, old trapper, you must acknowledge that this is but a slow way of getting out of danger. If we tarry here much longer, it will be in the fashion that the bees lie around the straw after the hive has been smoked for its honey. You may hear the fire again to roar already, and I know by experience that when the flame once gets fairly into the prairie grass, it is no slough that can outrun it. Thank you,' returned the old man, pointing scornfully at the mazes of the dry and matted grass which environed them. "'That mortal feet can outstrip the speed of fire on such a path. If I only knew now on which side these miscreants lay!' "'What say you, friend doctor?' cried the bewildered Paul, turning to the naturalist with the sort of helplessness with which the strong are often apt to seek aid of the weak, when human power is baffled by the hand of a mightier being. "'What say you?' Have you no advice to give away in a case of life and death? The naturalist stood, tablets in hand, looking at the awful spectacle with as much composure as if the conflagration had been lighted in order to solve the difficulties of some scientific problem. Aroused by the question of his companion, he turned his equally calm, though differently occupied associate, the trapper, demanding, with the most provoking insensibility to the urgent nature of their situation. Venerable Hunter! You have often witnessed similar prismatic experiments?" He was rudely interrupted by Paul, who struck the tablets from his hands with a violence that betrayed the utter intellectual confusion which had overset the equanimity of his mind. Before time was allowed for remonstrance, the old man, who had continued during the whole scene like one much at a loss how to proceed, though also like one who was rather perplexed than alarmed, suddenly assumed a decided air as if he no longer doubted on the course it was most advisable to pursue. "'It is time to be doing,' he said, interrupting the controversy that was about to ensue between the naturalist and the bee-hunter. "'It is time to leave off books and moanings and to be doing.' "'You have come to your recollections too late, miserable old man,' cried Middleton. "'The flames are within a quarter of a mile of us, and the wind is bringing them down in this quarter with dreadful rapidity.' "'Non, the flames!' I care but little for the flames. If I only knew how to circumvent the cunning of the Tetons, as I know how to cheat the fire of its prey, there would be nothing needed but thanks to the Lord for our deliverance. Do you call this a fire? If you had seen what I have witnessed in the eastern hills, when mighty mountains were like the furnace of Smith, you would have known what it was to fear the flames, and to be thankful that you were spared. Come, lads, come. Tis time to be doing now, and to cease talking. 
for yonder curling flame is truly coming on like a trotting moose. Put hands upon this short and withered grass where we stand and lay bare the earth. Would you think to deprive the fire of its victims in this childish manner? exclaimed Middleton. A faint but solemn smile passed over the features of the old man as he answered, Your grandfather would have said that when the enemy was nigh, a soldier could do no better than to obey. The captain felt the reproof, and instantly began to imitate the industry of Paul, who was tearing the decayed herbage from a ground in a sort of desperate compliance with the trapper's direction. Even Ellen lent her hands to the labor, nor was it long before Inez was seen similarly employed, though none amongst them knew why or wherefore. When life is thought to be the reward of labor, men are wont to be industrious. A very few moments suffice to lay bare a spot of some twenty feet in diameter. Into one edge of this little area the trapper brought the females, directing Middleton and Paul to cover their light and inflammable dresses with the blankets of the party. So soon as this precaution was observed, the old man approached the opposite margin of the grass, which still environed him in a tall and dangerous circle, and selecting a handful of the driest of the herbage, he placed it over the pan of his rifle. The light combustible kindled at the flash. Then he placed the little flame in a bed of the standing fog, and withdrawing from the spot to the center of the ring, he patiently awaited the result. The subtle element seized with avidity upon its new fuel, and in a moment forked flames were gliding among the grass, as the tongues of the ruminating animals are seen rolling among their food, apparently in quest of its sweetest portions. "'Now,' said the old man, holding up a finger, and laughing in his peculiarly silent manner, "'you shall see fire fight fire.' Ah's me, many is the time I have burned a smoothy path, from wantonness laziness to pick my way across a tangled bottom. But is this not fatal? cried the amazed Middleton. Are you not bringing the enemy nigher to us instead of avoiding it? Do you scorch so easily? Your grandfather had a tougher skin, but we shall live to see. We shall all live to see. The experience of the trapper was in the right. As the fire gained strength and heat, it began to spread on all three sides, dying of itself on the fourth, for want of alignment. As it increased, and the sullen roaring announced its power, it cleared everything before it, leaving the black and smoking soil far more naked than if the scythe had swept the place. The situation of the fugitives would have still been hazardous had not the area enlarged as the flame encircled them. But, by advancing to the spot where the trapper had kindled the grass, they avoided the heat, and in a very few moments the flames began to recede in every quarter, leaving them enveloped in a cloud of smoke, but perfectly safe from the torrent of fire that was still furiously rolling onward. The spectators regarded the simple expedient of the trapper with that species of wonder with which the courtiers of Ferdinand are said to have viewed the manner in which Columbus made his egg stand on his end, though with feelings that were filled with gratitude instead of envy. "'Most wonderful!' said Middleton when he saw the complete success of the means by which they had been rescued from a danger that he had conceived to be unavoidable. The thought was a gift from heaven, and the hand that executed it should be immortal. "'Old trapper!' cried Paul, thrusting his fingers through his shaggy locks. "'I have lined many a loaded bee into his hole, and know something of the nature of the woods, but this is robbing a hornet of his sting without touching the insect.' "'It will do, it will do,' returned the old man who, after the first moment of his success, seemed to think no more of the exploit. Now get the horses in readiness. Let the flames do their work for a short half-hour, and then we will mount. That time is needed to cool the meadow, 
for these unshod Teton beasts are as tender on the hoof as a barefooted girl. Middleton and Paul, who considered this unlooked-for escape as a species of resurrection, patiently awaited the time the trapper mentioned with renewed confidence in the infallibility of his judgment. The doctor regained his tablets, a little the worse from having fallen among the grass, which had been subject to the action of the flames, and was consoling himself for this slight misfortune by recording uninterruptedly such different vacillations in light and shadow as he chose to consider phenomena. In the meantime the veteran, on whose experience they also implicitly relied for protection, employed himself in reconnoitering objects in the distance through the openings which the air occasionally made in the immense bodies of smoke that by this time lay in enormous piles on every part of the plain. "'Look you here, lads,' the trapper said, after a long and anxious examination. "'Your eyes are young and may prove better than my worthless sight, though the time has been.' when a wise and brave people saw reason to think me quick on a lookout. But those times are gone, and many a true and tried friend has passed away with them. Ah's me! If I could choose a change in the orderings of providence, which I cannot, and which it would be blasphemy to attempt, seeing that all things are governed by a wiser mind than belongs to mortal weakness, but if I were to choose a change, it would be to say that such as they who have lived long together in friendship and kindness, and who have proved their fitness to go in company, by many acts of suffering and daring in each other's behalf, should be permitted to give up life at such times, as when the death of one leaves the other but little reason to wish to live. "'Is it an Indian that you see?' demanded the impatient Middleton. "'Redskin or white skin, it is much the same. Friendship and use can tie men as strongly together in the woods as in the towns. I, and for that matter, stronger.' Here are the young warriors of the prairies. Often do they sort themselves in pairs and set apart their lives for deeds of friendship, and well and truly do they act up to their promises. The death blow to one is commonly mortal to the other. I have been a solitary man much of my time, if he can be called solitary, who has lived for seventy years in the very bosom of nature, and where he could at any instant open his heart to God without having to strip it of the cares and wickednesses of the settlements. But making that allowance, have I been a solitary man, and yet have I always found that intercourse with my kind was pleasant, and painful to break off, provided that the companion was brave and honest. Brave, because a scary comrade in the woods, suffering his eyes inadvertently to rest a moment on the person of the abstracted naturalist, is apt to make a short path long, and honest inasmuch as craftiness is rather an instinct of the brutes than a gift becoming the reason of a human man. But the object that you saw, was it a Sioux? What the world of America is coming to, and where the machinations and inventions of its people are to have an end, the Lord he only knows. I have seen in my day the chief who, in this time, has beheld the first christen that places wicked foot in the regions of York. How much has the beauty of the wilderness been deformed in two short lives? My own eyes were first opened on the shores of the eastern sea, and well do I remember that I tried the virtues of the first rifle I ever bore, after such a march, from the door of my father to the forest, as a stripling could make between sun and sun, and that without offence to the rights or prejudices of any man who set himself up to be the owner of the beast of the fields. Nature then lay in its glory along the whole coast, giving a narrow stripe between the woods and the ocean, to the greediness of the settlers. And where am I now? Had I the wings of an eagle, they would tire before the tenth of the distance, which separates me from that sea, could be passed. 
and towns and villages, farms and highways, churches and schools. In short, all the inventions and deviltries of man are spread across the region. I have known the time when a few redskins shouting along the borders could set the provinces in a fever, and men were to be armed, and troops were to be called to aid from a distant land, and prayers were said, and the women frightened, and few slept in quiet, because the Iroquois were on the warpath, or the accursed Mingo had the tomahawk in hand. How is it now? The country sends out her ships to foreign lands to wage their battles. Cannon are plentier than the rifle used to be, and trained soldiers are never wanting in tens of thousands when need calls for their services. Such is the difference between a province and a state, my men, and I, miserable and worn out as I seem, have lived to see it all. That you must have seen many a chopper skimming the cream from the face of the earth, and many a settler getting a very honey of nature, old trapper, said Paul. No reasonable man can, or for that matter, shall doubt. But here is Ellen getting uneasy about the Sioux, and now you have opened your mind so freely concerning these matters. If you will just put us on the line of our flight, the swarm will make another move. Anon! I say that Ellen is getting uneasy and as the smoke is lifting from the plain, it may be prudent to take another flight. The boy is reasonable. I had forgotten we were in the midst of a raging fire, and the Sioux were around about us, like hungry wolves watching a drove of buffaloes. But when memory is at work in my old brain, on times long past, it is apt to overlook the matters of the day. You say right, my children. It is time to be moving, and now comes the real nicety of our case. It is easy to outwit a furnace, for it is nothing but a raging element, and it is not always difficult to throw a grizzly bear from his scent, for the creature is both enlightened and blinded by his instinct, but to shut the eyes of a waking Teton is a matter of greater judgment, inasmuch as his deviltry is backed by reason. Notwithstanding, the old man appeared so conscious of the difficulty of the undertaking, he set about its achievement with great steadiness and alacrity. After completing the examination, which had been interrupted by the melancholy wanderings of his mind, he gave the signal to his companions to mount. The horses, which had continued passive and trembling amid the raging of the fire, received their burdens with a satisfaction so very evident as to furnish a favorable augury of their future industry. The trapper invited the doctor to take his own steed, declaring his intention to proceed on foot. "'I am but little used to journeying with the feet of others,' he added as a reason for the measure, and my legs are a-weary of doing nothing. Besides, should we light suddenly on an ambushment, which is a thing far from impossible, the horse will be in a better condition for a hard run with one man on his back than with two. As for me, what matters it whether my time is to be a day shorter or a day longer? Let the Tetons take my scalp, if it be God's pleasure. They will find it covered with gray hairs." and it is beyond the craft of man to cheat me of the knowledge and the experience by which they have been whitened. As no one among the impatient listeners seemed disposed to dispute the arrangement, it was acceded to in silence. The doctor, though he muttered a few morning exclamations on behalf of the lost Asinus, was by far too well pleased in finding that his speed was likely to be sustained by four legs instead of two, to be long in complying, and consequently, in a very few moments, the bee-hunter, who was never last to speak on such occasions, voiceously announced that they were ready to proceed. "'Now look off yonder to the east,' said the old man, as he began to lead the way across the murky and still-smoking plain. "'Little fear of cold feet in journeying such a path as this, but look you off to the east, 
and if you see a sheet of shining white, glistening like a plate of beaten silver through the openings of the smoke, why, that is water. A noble stream is running there away, and I thought I got a glimpse of it a while since, but other thoughts came, and I lost it. It is a broad and swift river, such as the Lord has made many of its fellows in this desert, for here may nature be seen in all its richness, trees alone excepted, trees which are to be the earth as fruits are as to a garden, without them nothing can be pleasant or thoroughly useful. Now watch all of you with open eyes, for that stripe of glittering water we shall not be safe until it is flowing between our trail and these sharp-sighted Tetons. The latter declaration was enough to ensure a vigilant lookout for the desired stream on the part of all the trapper's followers. With this object in view, the party proceeded in profound silence, the old man having admonished them of the necessity of caution as they entered the clouds of smoke which were rolling like masses of fog along the plain, more particularly over those spots where the fire had encountered occasional pools of stagnant water. They traveled near a league in this manner without obtaining the desired glimpse of the river. The fire was still raging in the distance, and as the air swept away the first vapor of the conflagration, fresh volumes rolled along the place, limiting the view. At length the old man, who had begun to betray some little uneasiness, which caused his followers to apprehend that even his acute faculties were beginning to be confused in the mazes of the smoke, made a sudden pause, and dropping his rifle to the ground, he stood, apparently musing over some object at his feet. Middleton and the rest rode up to his side and demanded the reason of the halt. "'Looky here,' returned the trapper, pointing to the mutilated carcass of a horse that lay more than half consumed in a little hollow of the ground. "'Here may you see the power of a prairie conflagration. The earth is moist hereaway, and the grass has been taller than usual. This miserable beast has been caught in his bed. You see the bones, the crackling and scorched hide, and the grinning teeth?' A thousand winters could not wither an animal so thoroughly as the element has done it in a minute. And this might have been our fate, said Middleton, had the flames come upon us in our sleep. Nay, I do not say that, I do not say that. Not but that man will burn as well as tender, but that being more reasoning than a horse, he would better know how to avoid the danger. Perhaps this, then, has been the carcass of an animal, or he too would have fled. See you these marks in the damp soil? Here have been his hoofs, and there is a moccasin print, as I am a sinner. The owner of the beast has tried hard to move him from the place, but it is in the instinct of the creature to be faint-hearted and obstinate in a fire. It is a well-known fact, but if the animal has had a rider, where is he? Ay, therein lies the mystery, returned the trapper, stooping to examine the signs in the ground with a closer eye. Yes, yes, it is plain there has been a long struggle between the two. The master has tried hard to save his beast, and the flames must have been very greedy, or he would have had better success. Harky, old trapper, interrupted Paul, pointing to a little distance where the ground was drier, and the herbage had, in consequence, been less luxuriant. Just call them two horses. Yonder lies another. The boy is right. Can it be that the Tetons have been caught in their own snares? Such things do happen, and here is an example to all evildoers. Ay, look you here, this is iron. There have been some white inventions about the trappings of the beast. It must be so, it must be so. A party of the knaves have been skirting in the grass after us, while their friends have fired the prairie, and look you at the consequences. They have lost their beast, and happy have they been if their own souls are not now skirting along the path which leads to the Indian heaven. 
They had the same expedient at command as yourself, rejoined Middleton, as the party slowly proceeded, approaching the other carcass which lay directly on the route. I know not that. It is not every savage that carries his steel and flint, or as good a rifle-pan as this old friend of mine. It is slow making a fire with two sticks, and little time was given to consider or invent just at this spot, as you may see by yon streak of flame, which is flashing along afore the wind, as if it were on a trail of powder. It is not many minutes since the fire had passed here away, and it may be well to look at our primings, not that I would willingly combat the Tetons, God forbid, but if a fight needs be, it is always wise to get the first shot. This has been a strange beast, old man, said Paul, who had pulled the bridle, or rather halter, of his steed, over the second carcass, while the rest of the party were already passing, in their eagerness to proceed. A strange horse do I call it. It had neither head nor hoofs. The fire has not been idle, returned the trapper, keeping his eyes visionally employed in profiting by those glimpses of the horizon which the whirling smoke offered to his examination. It would soon bake you a buffalo hole, or for that matter powder his hoofs and horns into white ashes. Shame, shame, old Hector. As for the captain's pup, it is to be expected that he would show his want of years, and I may say, I hope, without offence, his want of education too. But for a hound, like you, who have lived so long in the forest afore you came into these plains, it is very disgraceful, Hector, to be showing your teeth and growling at the carcass of a roasted horse, the same as if you were telling your master that you had found the trail of a grizzly bear. I tell you, old trapper, this is no horse, neither in hoofs, head, nor hide. Anon, not a horse? Your eyes are as good for the bees and for the hollow trees, my lad, but bless me, the boy is right, that I should mistake the hide of a buffalo, scorched and crimpled as it is, for the carcass of a horse. Oz me! The time has been, my men, when I would tell you the name of a beast as far as I could reach, and that too with most of the particulars of color, age, and sex. An inestimable advantage have you then enjoyed, venerable venerator, observed the attentive naturalist. The man who can make these distinctions in a desert is saved the pain of many a weary walk, and often of an inquiry that is in its result proves useless. Pray tell me, did your exceeding excellence of vision extend so far as to enable you to decide on the order of, or genus? I know not what you mean by your orders of genius. No, interrupted the bee-hunter, a little disdainfully for him, when speaking to his aged friend. Now, old trapper, that is admitting your ignorance of the English language in a way I should not expect from a man of your experience and understanding. By order, our comrade means whether they go in promiscuous droves like a swarm that is following its queen bee, or in a single file, as you've often seen the buffaloes trailing each other through a prairie. And, as for genius, I'm sure that it is a word well understood, and in everybody's mouth. There is the congressman in our district, and that tonguey little fellow who puts out the paper in our county. They are both so called for their smartness, which is what the doctor means, as I take it, seeing that he seldom speaks without some considerable meaning. When Paul finished his very clever explanation, he looked behind him with an expression, which, rightly interpreted, would have said, You see, though I don't often trouble myself in these matters, I am no fool. Ellen admired Paul for anything but his learning. There was enough in his frank, fearless, and manly character, backed as it was by great personal attraction, to awaken her sympathies without the necessity of prying into his mental attainments. The poor girl reddened like a rose. Her pretty fingers played with the belt, 
by which she sustained herself on the horse, and she hurriedly observed, as if anxious to direct the attentions of the other listeners from a weakness on which her own thoughts could not bear to dwell. "'And this is not a horse, after all?' "'It is nothing more nor less than the hide of a buffalo,' continued the trapper, who had been no less puzzled by the explanation of Paul than by the language of the doctor. "'The hair is beneath. The fire has run over it, as you see, for being fresh the flames could take no hold. The beast has not been long killed.' and it may be that some of the beef is still here away. "'Lift the corner of the skin, old trapper,' said Paul, with the tone of one who felt as if he had now proved his right to mingle his voice in any council. "'If there is a morsel of the hump left, it must be well cooked, and it shall be welcome.' The old man laughed heartily at the conceit of his companion. Thrusting his foot beneath the skin, it moved. Then it was suddenly cast aside, and an Indian warrior sprang from its cover to his feet, with an agility that bespoke how urgent he deemed the occasion. End of chapter 23